Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello everyone, I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini. The show that tries to sort out what's true what's woo and what gets flushed down the loo in today's being on the brink really stinks how many lumens until we realize the goal is to kill most of the humans how many booster shots until you connect the dots will we admit the con or march forward into the kingdom of the automaton why is everyone so stupid and frightened will our race ever become enlightened oddly surreal little world as always my darlings we try to do this with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day and we are not always successful i'll admit to that but we are honor bound to give it our best shot and on this show the metaphysical martini show we do love shots yes we do in fact let me take a sip from today's festive cup and assess the efficacy of this luxurious libation. Mmm. Ooh, that is quite lovely. And if I finish this, which I will, I'm pretty sure it is going to efficate me. Mmm. All right, let me put that down right now before I drain the whole thing in one. If you're joining me for the first time, I extend a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, this show is not politically correct because we do not wish to erode our intellect. If you are a brainwashed automaton, someone who believes mainstream or Satanstream news tells the truth, someone who believes the government works for your benefit, darlings, this show is not for you, so move along now, nothing to see here. We martini heads, we are free thinkers. We know who runs the world. We know why. We know how. We're brilliant. And we do not acquiesce to illegal, immoral mandates issued by feeble-minded, ego-driven minions of deep state. In short, my darlings, we don't do BS. We are direct and to the point and we work diligently toward mankind's awakening and ascension into the fourth dimension. All is not as it seems in our world today, and thanks to the propagandists, the perceptual engineers, we live atop a multi-layered cesspool of filth, corruption, lies, and honestly, downright evil. Now, 
if you don't see this, you are one of the brainwashed. It's not an insult. Don't get your knickknocks in a twist. It's a comment. A direct approach to the truth is often received as an insult, especially by the ignorant, the arrogant, and the naive. If you find my direct factual approach to life insulting, feel free to crochet yourself a nice banky-poo, find yourself a nice comfortable corner of the matrix, and cuddle up and pretend all is well. And go ahead, do that. It's cool. I won't bother you. Others will, but I won't. If, however, you realize that physical incarnations are not spectator sports, but events requiring your active participation, welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Stick around a while. Listen up. You may learn something of value. Maybe. I mean, you may not, but maybe. And you may even find your tribe here. We welcome cosmic space adventurers all of you wonderful souls temporarily manifest in human form and huzzah for all the humans brave enough to sign up for world of earthcraft patch number 666 end of days dark into light let's start as we always do with quack questions answers and comments the reason we started this show was to give voice to the thoughts of we, the people. If you would like to share the contents of your magnificent brains with martini heads all over the world, send your emails to me, arnie at arnieavidician.com, or send your postcards or other snail mail missives to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, America the Beautiful. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified on air, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. All right, let's get on with the show. Let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. That's a lot of peas for one sentence, isn't it? All right, shaky, shaky. God, that's a good drink. Mm. Mm. All right. This is from Mike in Melrose in Scotland. Melrose in Scotland, who says, Arnie, I'm not going to do a Scottish accent. I thought about it for a minute, but I'm not going to do it. Arnie, I enjoyed your take on the Ten Commandments. How about giving us your thoughts on the seven deadly sins and their counterparts, the seven glorious corresponding virtues? And uh, Mike goes on to say, I'm pretty sold on gluttony, (laughs) but can manage a bit of sloth if I'm pushed into it. Given the season, I thought it would be a suitable subject for your podcast, which, if I may say, is a refreshing breeze of sanity in a sea of shit. (laughs) Mike, you may certainly say that. I agree with you and I thank you for it. Okay, my little Scottish friend from Melrose, the seven deadly sins and their counterparts. Now, here we go. If I remember correctly, it was Pope Gregory I that came up with these. But most people think it was Thomas Aquinas. Um, 
So Gregory the first was at the sixth century, I think so. Thomas Aquinas was the thirteenth century, and we think he came up with these seven deadly sin things because he explained them in greater detail and he presented them more as a warning. Uh, how shall I put this? A predisposition to sin, an attitude that, if not corrected, could lead us to some very serious sinning. So what are they, and how do we rectify them? All right, here goes. Sin number one, pride or vainglory, as it was called. So what is that? A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements or the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. All right. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No, but one should be wary of feeling their achievements devalue the achievements of others. You may have done something very well, and if so, you're fully justified in patting yourself on the back and graciously accepting the praise of others. But, as the saying goes, we're only as good as our last hit, so enjoy the sense of self-satisfaction. And then place your polished gem in your book of things I did well and move on. The sin is in vainglory, excessively proud of oneself or one's achievements, being overly vain, thinking you're better than anyone else because you did this one thing oh so well. All right, I'll go with that. That could be a predisposition to a serious sin. So how do we correct that? What is its virtuous counterpart? Well, that would be humility, wouldn't it? So what is humility? There are two versions of humility. In my humble opinion, in my, <laughs> no pun intended, it can mean having a low view of one's importance. That is not a virtue. The spiritual meaning of humility is caring for God's opinion of you over man's opinion. To serve others in unconditional love by avoiding the filters of the human ego. So we can take pride in our achievements because we did the deed not for our own glory, but for its own sake, for the glory of God and for the betterment of mankind. Fair enough. I'll go with that. What is deadly sin number two? Da, 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 da. Well, that would be greed, or as it was called back in the day, covetousness. Not such an easy word to say, really, after you've been drinking. Okay, what is greed? An intense and selfish desire for something especially wealth, power, or food. Oh, so greed can be, what can it do? Why is it bad? Well, it can compromise us and overtake our principles. Well, okay, that's something to be discouraged, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Is it the same as covetousness? I think it is. You can covet something someone else has. You're greedy for what they have. So greed is akin to a broken value. You want more flow 
And eventually, if you look around at today, God, at politics and pharma and such, you can get high on greed. You can never have enough. And so that kind of covetousness, that broken valve greed thing, that leads to corruption of the highest order. And we're seeing that today all around us. So how do we counteract this terrible sin of greed? We do it with the virtue of charity. All right, what's charity? Well, Mariam Dictionary says generosity and helpfulness, especially towards the needy or suffering. Charity is the act of giving help to those in need of it. So it's a humanitarian act. It involves giving money, goods, or time and effort to people who need it. And it's done, true charity is done without expecting something in return. So giving money or food to poor people is one example of charity. Volunteering your time to make people less fortunate than yourself is one example of charity. Now, if you really want to test your spiritual maturity, give to those in need anonymously. Mm, not as easy as it sounds. All right, let's move on. Deadly sin number three is lust <laughs> or inordinate or illicit sexual desire. Intense or unbridled sexual desire, lasciviousness. So if you're motivated more by lust than love. An intense longing. Hmm. So why is this type of lust bad for us? Illicit sexual desire and illicit. I mean, I'm not going to get into the state and all of that, but I think it's what they're trying to say is the body overrides the spirit when you give into lust. There is a time and a place for everything and intimate acts are sacred interactions not to be wasted. Interesting point. It just reminded me of I, I've dealt with my fair share of addicts in my time. Um, and I have to say, when these dreadful synthetic drugs came out, like crystal and meth type drugs, it does something horrific to the body. It ramps up the body's lust factor to a very unhealthy level. And people on these drugs sometimes engage repeatedly in sexual acts which are repulsive. Um, and they would never engage in such demonic debauchery if they were in their right minds. Mm, it just reminded me of that. So lust, it's an inability to control your hormones, to make good judgments. You are not being sacred with your body and the body of others. So how do we counteract the sin of lust? With its counterpart virtue, chastity, which sounds like a porn star's name, doesn't it? And what is chastity? It's the state or practice of refraining from all sex, extramarital and otherwise. Hmm. The church would say it is refraining from all sex outside sanctioned marriage and marriage as a union only between male and female. By the way, I care not one jot what the church or the state have to say about marriage. They should stay out of people's personal business. But anyway, moving on. We do live in a different age. So what does chastity mean today? Is it celibacy until you marry? 
your church or state sanctioned partner. Hmm. I think we should think of it in terms of temperance. Chastity today, I think, means more moderation in action, thought or feeling, having restraint, habitual moderation in the indulgence of our appetites or passions. And so, again, we go back to process your emotions, people. Control your hormones. Okay, we got lust down. Woohoo. Let's move on to number four. Deadly sin number four is envy. Ah, oh, envy. What is that? A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So, is it the same as greed? Well, perhaps not quite. You desire something that someone else has. Property, status, or in my case, a fast metabolism. And is that bad, the desiring of it? If you resent the person for having that which you desire, I would say that's immature and leads to problems down the road, not the least of which is a victim mentality, which is dangerous. So instead of resenting the person for having the thing that they have that you want, go out and get it or make it happen in your own life. Envy, it's the, it should have been me, it should have been me mentality. I think we could, it's a discontented longing. Hmm. So how do we counteract the evils of envy, my darling? Well, I'm sure it has a virtuous counterpart. And in this case, I believe it's gratitude. The quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. Gratitude is important. It's something I work on daily in my life. Lack is an illusion, isn't it? From a universal perspective. The universe overflows with potential, unlimited abundance. Yet most of mankind lives paycheck to paycheck with no idea how to break free from this carefully created for the masses cycle of lack. So I say, let's be grateful for what we have, even if it isn't much. Start by blessing that which is in front of you. You know, blessing it's the same as conferring prosperity upon. Bless that which you have and it will grow. Resent that which you have, because perhaps you have less than others, and you're hexing yourself and saying to the universe, see this one loaf of bread I have to eat. One loaf of bread. I resent it. It has diminished value for me because my neighbor has six loaves of bread. So now you've hexed what you have. And the universe, who has no option but to respond to your outgoing vibration, says, Arnie doesn't want that one loaf of bread she has. So let's help her get rid of it and she can starve. Because clearly that's the vibration she's putting out and that's what she wants. Hmm. You know, it's not rocket science, is it? It's, it's common sense. These laws of the universe, they're not mystical and mysterious. They're based on common sense, not a bunch of wonky, wonky woo-woo. 
All right, we got that one down. What's next? Where are we? Number five? Number five. Gluttony, <laughs> which is usually understood to include drunkenness. Oh, dear. Watch out, martini heads. Okay, what is gluttony then? Habitual greed or excess in eating. What is gluttony? Eating, excess in eating, habitual greed. Okay, why is it a sin? I think that comes from the Latin, gula, because glutere means to gulp down. So we're getting this impression of gluttony as overindulgence, overindulgence, habitual overindulgence, overconsumption of food and drink, or perhaps even luxury items to surround yourself with. Anything that conveys a sort of a shallow status symbol. So in religion, it's considered a sin if the excessive desire for food causes it to be withheld from those in need of food. So let's look at this a little bit, you know, in detail. Overindulgence in food, especially and drink, is not good for the body. Now, in antiquity, hunter-gatherers had different eating habits. If they had a good hunt, they ate a great deal of meat and preserved what they could according to their abilities of the day. Now, those human bodies back then adapted to gorging than starving. It was not gluttony. It was get it while it's edible and hope for the best. But that's not the case in today's soft, centralized urban environment. We have access to food, most of which is not actually food or healthy, but we have access to edibles 24-7, so overindulging is not necessary. And due to large amounts of processed foods, our digestive systems have lost their teeth, and gorging shortens our lifespan. Our brains won't work properly if all our energy goes into digesting mountains of rich, sugary, fatty food. So... We should just learn to respect the vessel that houses our souls, Arnie Abedissian, every time you walk past a donut shop. How many times in our human history has food been withheld from one section of society by another? This is another aspect of gluttony, eating your fill and then, you know, making other people jump through hoops to beg for crumbs. It's happening today, isn't it, with these quackzine passports? It is disgusting as a behavior. And the only thing worse than imposing it is watching people put up with it. So gluttony, not good on any level. All right. So what do we do about it? Besides, you know, watching our portions. How do we overcome it? Well, I think that would be the virtue of temperance. And what is temperance, pray tell? Moderation in action, thought and feeling. Restraint. Habitual moderation in the indulgence of our appetites and passions. Moderation and, if necessary, abstinence. You know, this... We don't do well with balance in all things on this realm. You know, you need balance in all things, even good things. Cheesecake is lovely, but one slice is enough for your gallbladder. Being in a state of ecstasy is lovely, 
But unless you have the luxury of being a lone monk in the wilderness, devoted to praying for mankind 24-7 with nothing else to do, you can't really have a practical life if you're in ecstasy all the time. So easy does it, darlings. Don't overdo things. All right, moving along. We are now at number six, which is wrath or anger, or is it? Let's talk about this. Wrath, strong, stern, or fierce anger. Deeply resentful indignation, ire, vengeance, or punishment as the consequence of anger. So we get from that that wrath is anger on crack. So if you get to that stage, it means you've not processed your anger and you are ready to unleash wrath and you've lost control and will probably take action in haste and most probably regret it later. So one should never let oneself get to that stage. So how do we combat the dangers of the deadly sin of wrath? With the virtue of patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble or suffering without getting unduly angry or upset. It is more difficult than it sounds unless you understand your totality and how your energy anatomy works and are diligent about dissolving your triggers. Being patient doesn't mean allowing oneself to be abused, by the way. It means manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain, not being impetuous, being steadfast in opposition, steadfast where there's difficulty or adversity. Most people, you know, when they have that temporary insanity plea and they kill people, they're at that wrath stage. They've lost control. Don't go there. What is the seventh deadly sin? Sloth. Aha. Which is also a lovely little animal that apparently only has a bowel movement or urinates once every seven days. Can't really imagine that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a sloth for you. But the, seven, the seventh deadly sin of sloth is about apathy. I mean, it's a disinclination to action or labor. Oh, I'm lazy, boss. I don't want to move those boxes, right? But it's also spiritual apathy and inactivity. Okay, so why is that a bad thing? Well, of course it's a bad thing, honey, silly, but why? It's a weariness or a boredom of the soul that, that leads to despair. So... A church person, which I'm not, would say sloth is a sin against God's love in that it goes as far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness. We must never be repelled by divine goodness. We forget that we are magnificent cosmic beings capable of manifesting any darn thing we please. So if we give into slothfulness, we are shoving the glory given to us by God backing God's face, and that, my darlings, I have to say, is just plain rude. So, also, you know, you never get anything done, do you? You just sit around all day going, God, I'm bored. Ooh. So how do we combat sloth? With diligence. Diligence. Careful and persistent work or effort. 
steady, earnest, and energetic effort. People, don't give up on your lives. Otherwise, you'll end up as a sloth and you'll poop once every seven days. That's not good. Get involved in the nitty-gritty of your life. Be curious. See your potential and whatever you do, do it well so you can cross it off your list and not carry it around as baggage. Find your motivation and move with it. Don't be stagnant because in a constantly moving, changing universe filled with wonders, how on earth could you possibly be slothful? Well, there we have it. We did it. Thank you, Mike from Melrose, Scotland. A 101 presentation on the seven deadly sins and their corresponding virtues. Well, Mike, I hope you have a virtuous holiday season. Don't give in to gluttony. All right, let's shake up the old fishbowl then and take another question. And this is from a chap named Eli. He's from Boise, Idaho. And he sent me, I remember this letter. He sent me a video clip of folk singer Cheryl Wheeler singing the chorus of the Mexican hat dance to the word potato. And he says, Oni, I know you like silly poetry, and I thought you would appreciate this. But, well, thank you, Eli. I do appreciate it. And guess what? I'm familiar with this song. I mean, it's been years. But I first heard Cheryl Wheeler, who is a lovely folk singer, sing this well over a decade ago, and I wrote my own lyrics to it at the time. So let me see if I can remember them. And, you know, I can't guarantee that this will be a Grammy-winning performance or that I'll follow the melody with any accuracy. And every time I do this live on the radio, I kick myself because it can all go so horribly wrong. But here we go. So it's potato set to the chorus of a Mexican hat dance. Okay. Okay, I think I've got it. Okay. Potato, 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 some are red, some are white, some are yellow, their flavor is generally mellow, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard in Peru, they have a potato that's actually blue, potato, 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 potato. You can fry them and mash them and bake them. You can boil them in salt and then shake them. You can make cottage fries or make pastry for pies. You might even win the blue ribbon prize. Potato, everybody together. Potato, potato, potato. Potato, 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 potato. My preference is baked with some salsa. That's just how we roll in me casa. My neighbors agree on a scale one, two, three. Potatoes are better than quinoa. Potato, potato, potato. Potato, 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 potato. Ladies and gentlemen, the spud has left the building. Ah, well, that was a bit of fun uh, for me anyway. It might have been excruciating for you. That is um, my lyrics to the Mexican hat dance. 
And that is inspired by Cheryl Wheeler, the folk singer, her take on this. And she came up with the word potato, but she has a whole different set of lyrics to mine. So there we go. Thank you, Cheryl Wheeler. And thank you, Eli, for sending this in. Um, let's see what else troubles the minds of we the people on this fine day, the day before American Thanksgiving celebration. Mm, do all bear in mind the sin of gluttony, people. Okay for tomorrow? All right, let's shake it up a bit and let's see what we've got. Here's an email from Cassie. Cassie, um, who lives in St. Albans in the UK. Arnie, yes, Cassie. You upset a great many people by your insistence that the queen will not be exalted in heaven after her death. Ooh, I'm in trouble in St. Albans. How is it, Cassie continues, that someone who has served their country so well for so long will be received in the lowest region of heaven and possibly in the holding area outside heaven? Let me have a sip of my drink. <laughs> Cassie, if you're asking that question, I can only surmise that one, you are new to my podcasts, and two, you do not understand the ideology and machinery and the personnel roster of Deep State. I'm going to send you a private email with some recommended viewing and reading. You see, my darling, you have bought into the romantic notion of queen and country not the reality. Now, we've covered this subject multiple times on the show. Love for one's country, one's home, is a good thing. It encourages us to ask the very best of ourselves, and by doing so, we elevate the status, the consciousness of our homeland. If our queen or leader is a benevolent and wise leader, she too deserves honor, but in all honesty, Cassie, can you not see through the charade? The links to financial control, the links to pedophiles, blackmail, to keeping the population enslaved in debt, shouting God save the Queen and shouting hurrah while Joe and Jane Common are picking up their government pensions pennies on each pound in returned investment, begging for scraps under a fully laden table, fully laden by the sweat of the people, not the gentry. How about perpetual warfare, dividing the people by using carefully crafted propaganda campaigns? That's just a smattering, by the way, and as for where we go after we die... Darling, I don't make the rules. You are received according to your awareness. The amount of love, which is general cosmic understanding, that you hold in your heart, that's your level of awareness. If the universe has decided the queen is going to be housed in the lowest level or even off-site facility, you can be assured there is a good reason for it. You know... Waking up is hard to do, and I feel that you are on the first step of the ladder into your own personal ascension. I'm going to send that email to you tonight, my darling. Don't you worry. All shall be revealed. 
Okay, let's take, this drink is having an effect on me. <laughs> let's take another question. This is from Arif, A-R-I-F, who lives in a place called Dearborn, Michigan. And Arif, uh, Arif, Arif, uh, Arif, we'll go with Arif, asks, Dear Matt Sharman, my friend attended one of your Zoom meetings recently and shared some of the information with me. He said that you said that if you are thinking about killing someone, that you should have a foot massage and that by doing that, you would lose the desire to kill. I am having trouble believing that. I remember this meeting. Okay, Arif, first, we should address your use of the word that. You can have too much of a good thing, you know. Now, with regard to killing people and foot massages, keep it together, Arnie, I'm about to get the giggles. Um, the basest human emotions are processed in the lower chakras, below the waist. And when you get down to the feet and the ankles, that's where the darkest emotions are processed. If you're having murderous thoughts, I advise some deep breathing, followed by a nice hot foot soak, followed up with a nice relaxing foot massage, preferably with some aromatherapy. You, Lang Lang is very good, and Rose. You know, that way you can relax while sorting your emotions out. You see, murder, it's so final, isn't it? I mean, the least we owe ourselves is to slow down, regulate our breath, and have our little tootsies rubbed. Oh, feels so good. Anyway, Arif, now you have correct context, and thank you for writing in. Should we take one more question today? Shall we? Yes, let's do it. Okay, this is from Omit Personal Details, who says, Ani, you state repeatedly that the dark ones will collapse under the weight of their own dysfunction. When exactly will this happen? Some of us are losing faith. The measures are getting stricter by the day. We are masked and segregated, and no one is stepping up to save us. Okay, I'm going to take a moment before I answer this. Mm. Look around you. How can you not see that this is actually in progress? When they started bribing people with donuts and fries to take the quack zine, did you not interpret this as a sign of their collapse? When you see protests ramping up all over the world, even though Satan stream media isn't show it, isn't showing it, but it's happening, and if you poke around, you'll find it. When you see these protests ramping up all over the world, it means people are awakening, seeing the dark agenda, and fighting back. Still not hard enough, in my opinion, but they have started. When you see the fear behind the eyes of Luciferian minions, such as Jacinda Ardern, that piece of shit Prime Minister of New Zealand, or pay-per-view Trudeau, Lucifer's representative in Canada, or Boris, I started out okay, but they pushed me over the edge, Johnson, the wild man of Great Britain. Look at their eyes. They are frozen in fear. They are stuck behind a, a rock in a hard place. When you see tens of thousands of professionals walking away from their livelihoods 
to preserve the sanctity of their souls. When we see hundreds of thousands collapsing and dying from adverse effects of the fake quack zine, and the official narrative doesn't move from, it didn't work, but you should get it to protect the ones who took it, even though it doesn't work, and it won't protect you either, and it will probably kill you, but you are not dying fast enough for us, and there is now a chance we won't get away with our murderous depopulation agenda, but we don't know what else to do now because we didn't really have a plan B, so we'll keep saying the same thing over and over again, because you fell for it in history over and over again, and with this quack zine, you fell for it the first and second time, and oh yes, please have a booster every six months, because you will never be fully quacked, because it's not actually a quack, but a bioweapon, and please, would you all please hurry up and die, so we can pull this off, we are very nervous now, but you keep acquiescing, so we keep ramping it up to see how far we can push you, and oh my god, people, just please die, oh, and yes, we may have to unleash smallpox, so please just die now, thank you. No one is coming to save you. Take off your bloody mask and withdraw your custom from anyone who bends the knee to the darkness. Anyone who makes their fellow man jump through hoops for a bit of food and drink. Darling, this insanity is happening because you delegated your thinking to the darkness. And now you want to delegate, or even delegate, your salvation to the light. Let me ask you, all this time, which faction have you supported? Dark or light? On a daily basis, your actions each day since this madness started, have you bent the knee to the darkness for the privilege of remaining in its matrix? Or have you removed yourself from it? and sought out like-minded people with whom you can create a new social body? Have you acquiesced to having demon parasites injected into your body for the sake of convenience? I don't, th I know, I can sense how pissed off you are hearing me right now. Believe me, I have to control myself every time I get a letter like this. It takes me a minute or so, as we've been saying the same thing for, for years and years and years. I don't think people really understand the meaning of tyranny or the meaning of resistance. To quote David Icke, human race, get off your knees. Mandates are not laws. You accept them as such as soon as you acquiesce. Stop being such obedient little servants of the state. One full week of global mass noncompliance and the whole bloody thing collapses. Police officers don't want to enforce these ridiculous instructions. They don't want to be hated by the communities they live in, let alone be pulled from their houses and beaten to a pulp on the other side of this, as per World War II. The army doesn't want to fire on its own people. When will the people realize the power they hold as the majority? Look, love, resistance is not one event. It's ongoing. <clears throat> if you say, oh, I just need a pint of milk, so I'll put on my mask and buy it from the corner shop instead of driving 20 minutes to the store that doesn't enforce the satanic ritual of mask wearing for services and goods. It won't hurt, but it does hurt. 
Multiply that by millions of people doing that several times a day. It does hurt. It is acceptance of evil. You have bowed your head to the darkness, covered your face, denied your identity for the privilege of exchanging money for goods and services. What is it that people don't understand about the mark of the beast? I mean, do you think that when we talk about Lucifer and satanic agendas and rituals, we're talking about a big hairy devil with a long tail, a giant penis and a bright red ass? No. I mean, the people at the top of the chain of evil do indeed worship the fallen one. But we're talking about the ideology that stems from Lucifer's decision to create biological beings without the cooperation and blessing of source creator I am. Why would anyone step up to help us if we're not motivated enough to help ourselves every day in every way? This evil that we're experiencing, this evil rode triumphantly on the tsunami-sized wave of our collective gullibility and fear. If we want the white hats, as we call them, to ride triumphantly and save the day, we have to give them our own tsunami-sized wave of resistance, of guts, of grit, and the affirmation of our sovereignty. Well, it is happening. It has begun. But we still have too much whinging and whining and not enough aligning and shining. And cowbell, we need more cowbell. People, people, if you want this to be over, you end it. No one's going to end it for you. You have forgotten the power that lies with you. Look in the mirror, gird your loins, and kick these psychopaths and their sycophants out of office and into Gitmo. All right, a nice bit of pontification for you there. And on that note, I say thank you to everyone for writing in. And now we'll move on to Tarot A Go Go. <laughs> It's a little what-the-heck with your favorite tarot deck using the Robin Wood deck. And today's card is, what is it? What was it last time? It was a Seven of Swords. Seven of Pentacles. Seven of Pentacles. All right. I have it here somewhere. Never mind. I know what it looks like. Okay. So we have this chap. <clears throat> and he's looking at his bush. I mean, as in the bush that is a plant, not the one in his trousers, right? Let's get this right. Um, and he's generally contemplative. He believes he has planted, well, um, he's planted, well, yes, let's go with that. Um, he's planted fruits, and we can see those fruits in the form of seven large pentacles on his bush. One gets the impression with this card that it represents the feeling of a slow and a steady growth. He's taking stock of his investments, and he feels that things are going well. His hard work will bring him good returns. He has to wait a bit, though. The fruits are not quite ripe yet, but soon. Now I actually have the card, and um, <laughs> the more I look at the card, the more I feel it could be read a number of ways. On one hand, we did well, hurrah, and now we can wait. And on the other hand, I get the sense of, did we, though? Did we do as well as we thought? I mean, is the project coming to fruition? 
or was it a wasted effort? So when you get this card, I advise a re-evaluation of the project in hand. Perhaps you've taken it as far as possible. And if you want to see continued success, you're going to have to have a new approach to it. Or perhaps you're not consistent and diligent. In a generally positive reading, this card tells us we're on the right track. It's a good card. But in a less than positive reading, this card could represent wasted effort. At the very least, it does ask us to review and to regroup. There's imbalance somewhere. And it might have as much to do with your health as anything. Um, and of course, the reason for your reading will give you the clues on that. Remember, just because it's a pentacle, it's not always about money. It's all the things that go into making the money. Well, let's turn it upside down now, and let's see how we feel about it in the reverse position, also called the challenged position. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of makes you want to have a drink, really. It's a bit demoralizing, isn't it? All sorts of emotions are welling up in me now. A disappointment. Loss. I've made some hard choices and they weren't the good ones. I have a strong sense of missed opportunities. Anxiety about money, investments. Could even be bankruptcy. I do have a sense of despair. Mm. But I'm going back to demoralization. That's really what I feel when I turn this card into the reverse position. I feel that I just ran out of juice, that hope is fizzling out. Perhaps I'm overwhelmed by debt. Learning some hard lessons from some really bad investments. And not just investments in money, but all aspects of life. Not a lot of energy left here. Definitely the need for healing and regrouping. And this card comes up often in the reverse position, uh, I find, for my clients who are addicted to gambling and have gambling issues. Let's turn it back the other way. Much better. Seven of Pentacles. Lovely, handsome chap looking at his bush, waiting for good things to happen to it. There we are. All right. Well, that's it for Tarot Gogo. What do we have time for now? What is the time? What day is it? Oh, we have time. Okay. Then I would say it's time for some weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And today's theme is potatoes. Why not? What do we know about potatoes? We know it's a starchy vegetable. We also know people argue as to whether it is a vegetable or not. But I'm told it is. We think that potatoes trace their ancestry back to the Andes, to Peru. And the Inca natives were the first to grow that crop. And even though the potato looks very solid, I mean, if someone throws a giant russet at you, it might knock you out. You should try that. Everybody go and buy a giant russet and just throw it at each other and see sort of what impact it makes on the old noggin. But even though it's solid, potato is 80% water and only 20% solid. 
There's about 100 edible varieties in the world. And here in the USA, the state of Idaho has the honor of being named the potato state. And it has its own potato museum in Blackfoot, Idaho. And as you would expect, they serve a great many potatoes in their cafe. I looked it up. I went to their cafe and looked at the menu. And if I ever find myself in Blackfoot, Idaho, I'm going to try them all. So where do we get the word potato? We think it's Spanish, patata. Who is the largest potato producer and exporter in the world? It would be China. But also India, Germany, Ukraine, Russia, Poland, and the United States are leading producers. In the USA alone, I am told, all 50 of its states grow the tuber crop, crop, Idaho and Washington, of course, being the largest ones. Did you know, because I didn't, that a potato is 99.9% fat-free, and it contains vitamins and minerals, and it's good for you, and a nice-sized potato is only 100 calories? Of course, if you're going to put bacon and cheese and sour cream and all sorts of things like that on it, um, you know, it's not going to remain 100 calories. Now, you can do some very useful things with potatoes besides throwing them at people you don't like. You can make alcoholic beverages with them. You can make vodka, aquavit, or pachine. Let me give you a warning on this one. All right. Potato vodka is good. Aquavit is good. Macro-produced pachin is good. Do not be conned into drinking potato distilled liquor from somebody's garage um, like I was. Uh, you will die. I actually died from drinking potato vodka in someone's garage, and it took me three whole days to come back to life. So I'm just warning you, it could really have serious consequences. And there was another little tidbit someone sent me about potatoes. Oh, yes, during the, um, the gold rush, I guess, uh, was, oh, the Ala it was the Alaskan Klondike. Uh, that's an ice cream bar. No, there was an Alaskan Klondike gold rush, um, 1890s. Potato had a very high value due to its essential vitamin C content. So people traded potatoes and gold directly. Now, you can get potato poisoning if you consume the leaves and the green stems because those are toxic. So don't do that because you'll get abdominal pain, fever, nausea, headaches, vomiting, um, and it could take a few hours to get there. And if you're already in a bad state, you know, dehydration, well, you know, you could die. Don't do it. But over a billion people each day eat at least one potato each day. Here in America, the average consumption is at 140 pounds of potatoes per year per person. That's lovely. Germans, of course, they eat more. Well, they eat more, you know, more potatoes. 200 pounds of potatoes per year per German. That's exciting. A German potato salad. It's got bacon in it. It's very nice. I heard, and I know that this is true because it was fact-checked, not by Facebook, but by real fact-checkers, um, potatoes were the first vegetable grown in space. 1995, the Space Shuttle Columbia had an astroculture plant growth facility, and they grew potatoes, and they were edible. How wonderful is that? And our final little potato tidbit, I'm going to give Marie Antoinette 
the honor of this because she gave birth to Potato in fashion. She received a bouquet of potatoes from someone. <laughs> and the flower on the potato became trendy because she made a public appearance decorating herself with potato flowers on her clothing. The world is indeed a very strange place, but Marie Antoinette, God bless her, God rest her soul, she led a very sheltered life. She couldn't understand that they were actually poor people. I believe they built her her own village where everything was idyllic. So poor lady, when she said that they said, well, the people don't have bread, and she said, let them eat cake, she wasn't being rude. She genuinely didn't know that people starved. Oh, God bless you, Marie Antoinette. Well, I think that's it for the potato tidbits for now. I do love potatoes. In fact, I, you know, I'm dieting. I'm always dieting because I'm a bit of a potato myself. Um, I like them baked, but I have a real spot for chips or French fries, as we call them here. Extra crispy. After all, I grew up and spent half my life in London, England, where we were always at the chippy. And we eat our chips with salt and vinegar and occasionally a nice piece of battered and fried haddock. Oh, man, those were the days. Oh, have a couple of pints at the pub, have some chips, walk three miles home, and you never, ever put on weight back in the day. Well, my darlings, oh, my gosh, it's almost an hour. How does this happen? I think that's it for today. I have finished my lovely drink, and that always means the end of the show. Today's real-life cocktail is, wait for it, it's called a nightmare. And I must admit, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. But, ooh, yum, yum, yum. Mm. Now, I don't drink for my own pleasure, people. I do this for you every other Wednesday. I try out a new cocktail for your pleasure, not mine. The nightmare is a keeper, and here's how you make it. Six parts gin. I'm using Bombay Sapphire today. Two parts Madeira wine. I'm using Broadbent 10-year-old. Two parts good cherry brandy. I'm using Great Lakes Goodland cherry liqueur today. You combine all these ingredients in a mixing glass with cracked ice and you stir well. Don't give it a hard shake. Stir. Then you strain it into a chilled cocktail glass and you dress it with an orange twist. And I might say, I've just, this is, surprisingly good and it is now my official christmas day cocktail now remember folks cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat if you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously one drink is all you need i'm arnie avidician this was a metaphysical martini a production of cosmic reality radio to whom we are most grateful until we meet again, God bless America. Engage in mass non-compliance. Take off your masks and let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alphadesian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com.